If you like this podcast, you're going to really like McClanahan Academy. Head over to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll. It's free of charge. You get a free class, 10 Myths of American History. When you do enroll, I've got nearly 20 classes there available for purchase. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll today and get a real history education. The Brian McClanahan Show, episode 725. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to the Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. While you're there, give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. Support the show by going to mclanahanacademy.com. I'll be talking about that more later this week, but you can purchase one or 20 of my classes there. I've got a new class out, Reading Jefferson Davis. You're going to want it. I can guarantee you're going to want it. It's a great class, and I am going to reference it at the end of the week. We've got the coupon right now. If you use the coupon code DAVIS through October 31st, 2022, you can get $60 off. So going out to mclanahanacademy.com, pick up the Reading Jefferson Davis class, and of course, we are coming up to Black Friday season, right? Holiday shopping. So there are going to be some deals and discounts at McClanahan Academy. Just be on the lookout for those. If you're on my email list, you'll get those discounts. You can also support the show by going to brianmcclanahan.com. Click on the support tab or click on a little heart under this video. Right, you can throw a few pennies my way. You can also click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Give it that five-star review. Leave a text review where you can or a comment on YouTube so it bumps the algorithm. All great ways to help support the show. And as always, share it around on social media and send me those show requests. I do appreciate seeing what you want to hear, right? So uh, this is an interesting show for me. And we've got Election Day coming up in just a couple of weeks, right? So uh, November 8th, uh, in, uh, in just a couple of weeks, we will uh, see Election Day. Now, we've already got Election Month, right? We already have people going to the polls all around the United States. And people are casting early votes. And we know that uh, you know, Georgia is going to be a, a, a focal point for this because of Stacey Abrams and all the accusations of cheating that went on the last time she ran for governor and lost, which, of course, she has never uh, conceded. Uh, she's an election denier, and this is hilarious when this is brought up because the left has no response for this. But the fact is we've got, we've got a situation where people are going to go to the polls, and I'll talk more about the the election to make some predictions as we get a little bit closer, probably next week, uh, maybe the end of next week. I'll, I'll get into that because uh, the following week will be uh, election week, so or election day on November 8th. But I want to talk about a piece that was uh, a, a historian referenced on social media, and it's in the New York Times. I'm going to do some other stuff this week. I wanted to get this one out of the way because um, it's an interesting piece. I've already talked about some of this before, right? The independent state legislature doctrine. But I want to focus on a part of the piece that everyone will miss. And I had a conversation. It was Richard Kreitner uh, who actually posted this. And if you haven't gotten this book, um, it's Richard Kreitner. It's entitled Break It Up, right? It's a, it's a study of secession in the United States. And it's actually pretty good. I mean, Kreitner is a, is a leftist, and he, he writes from a very leftist position, but he does a good job with the history in the book, particularly early secession movements in America. And 
he, he his conclusion, and if you've seen him on any kind of media, is that the United States has always been interested in decentralization and breaking up the union and weighing the value of the union. It's what he actually concludes with. What are Americans, what do they think about the union? What is the true value of union in America? Can we, can we put a price tag on it? Uh, is it you know, worth so many lives or is it worth so much money or what is it? Right. Is there is this mythical bond of union even something that we should be pursuing? And so he answers that question throughout the book. But, you know, I like the fact in the book he brings up northern secession movements. He actually called one chapter the lost cause of the North, which is absolutely hilarious because, I mean, northern secessionists were very prominent in, uh, in the early 19th century in opposition to the Jefferson administration. We've talked about this on this podcast before. So I would recommend you get this book. Now, uh, Kreitner posted a, an article from the New York Times, and like a lot of people on the left, he's concerned about a couple of upcoming Supreme Court decisions that he believes are going to undermine uh, federal elections, and they're going to undermine democracy in America, right? Because the idea, and, I've, and again, I've, I've covered this before, I don't want to go back into it, the idea is that the state, the state legislatures, this independent state legislature doctrine, will then... Uh, destroy any type of due process in these states when it comes to overseeing federal elections. And his point was, well, it's going to make federal elections irrelevant. The states will control them, and federal elections will be meaningless. Now, I don't agree with that position because the states always had a primary role in federal elections. We know, as per the Constitution, that the Congress can intervene if the states refuse to hold elections, this is exactly how it was sold to the states, not just they could intervene whenever they wanted. That, that point was actually made by the opponents of the Constitution. The proponents said, wait a second here, we're only going to do this if a state refuses to hold an election. So as long as states are holding elections, the general government was not going to interfere. They weren't going to get involved. And so the states set the qualifications as to who could vote. They determined the legislative districts. They did all of that. Right? This is something that was quite common, and it was understood this was going to be the process. Now, where the left gets involved, they say, well, wait a second here. Okay, we can concede the states would do this, but when the bureaucracy or when a judge gets involved and invalidates what they consider to be something that's unconstitutional as per the state constitution. Now, I would say this. I would caution this. It's not always as per the state constitution. Sometimes they've got other things involved in that. And, of course, when you get the federal government involved, then they're going to start bringing up things like the Voting Rights Act of 1965 or whatever the case may be. But his point is that if, if you cut out the other processes, right, the other branches of government, whether it's the judicial branch in the states or even the executive branch or something created by the executive branch, which we saw during COVID where you had uh, the bureaucracy setting election rules, which is a complete distortion of what the founding generation would have wanted, you have a situation where the legislatures can run amok. And of course, the right ostensibly controls the majority of legislatures in America, meaning that you're going to have a position where the minority, as Kreitner said, we will have permanent minority rule in America because uh, places like California and New York, et cetera, et cetera, will never be able to win elections. Now, I find this argument a little bit weak, uh, considering that statewide uh, elections, right, for the president, I mean, this is, this is a tally by the state, but of course he thinks that 
eventually these Republican states are going to set rules where they can uh, submit a different set of electors. Now, here's the dirty little secret. The states can send any electors they want. It doesn't have to be based on the popular vote. The state could say, we're going to take the minority vote. Whoever wins the minority is going to win the electoral college votes. Uh, the states could do whatever they want with that. Um, they don't ha even have to count the popular vote if they don't want to. You could have a system where you have electors and you vote for electors, and those people can then cast their ballot however they want. But we have a system now in the states that they've adopted where you have a winner-take-all system, and it's based on the popular vote in the state, but the states can do whatever they want with that. I've actually argued on this program and other places that perhaps we should have a different view of the Electoral College. Perhaps uh, you know, a state like uh, my home state where you have nine Electoral College votes, maybe the, the best way to do it would be, or take any state, right? Just take Delaware, for example. Delaware's often, we'll take Joe Biden's home state of Delaware, right? So in Delaware, you have three Electoral College votes. And uh, out of those three, you have two because of the Senate and one because of the House. Well, whoever wins the congressional district gets that Electoral College vote. If you had four, right, and you had one that was Republican and one that was Democrat, well, then each Republican and Democrat get those votes. And then whoever wins the state at large gets the other two Electoral College votes. So in a state with nine, you know, you would probably have, uh, usually you get, and Alabama's the, the focus of one of these lawsuits, and, and again, I talked about this with progressive originalism, quote-unquote, you would have a situation where you probably have one Democrat elector coming out of the state of Alabama because they would have one legislative district uh, that the left would generally control. The rest of them would not be. And this is, the, so you would get like a, a split, right? You would have a slight split in every state. California, you would have some Republican electors coming out of the state of California, probably New York, Pennsylvania, some of these states. Now, some states you probably wouldn't have it at all. You know, I, I don't know about Massachusetts, who are probably pretty solid uh, Democrat. Um, Delaware, of course, would be solid Democrat. Uh, but you would have states with splits. And this is, and this is where I think we could re rethink the Electoral College situation. But the states would all have to agree to it, because if only one state did it, then they would actually lose something there, right? So uh, I, I don't think that this is ever going to happen. It's a, it's a idea that I think would work, but because it would focus on you know individual uh, districts and you would have to have presidents campaign more, candidates campaign more extensively and other things. But you, know, you might get a Republican to go into California. Uh, because uh, it's not an entire lost cause. You might get a Democrat to go into somewhere in the South because it's not an entirely lost cause to go down there and do it. So, um, But the idea is that we would have permanent minority rule because all of these places would then be under the control of Republican legislators and they're going to gerrymand everything and it's going to be a disaster for the left. And we would they're never going to win the presidency again. The Republicans are going to rig the districts so that they control the House of Representatives et cetera, et cetera. And because we have big cities like New York and LA, and uh, those are the two, two biggest, but of course we have lots of cities in between, Atlanta, you know, talk at Boston, Philadelphia, these cities, Detroit, Chicago, uh, even though Detroit is just cratering, right? But Chicago is still important. Uh, these cities then have oversized influence in their states, but the idea is that the states could then restrict that to where the cities would have less influence and, of course, less influence on national politics. And this is what's been brought in the United States of Confederate America. This was brought up before, 
where the rural, we really have a rural-urban split in America now. It's not necessarily sectional. It's urban and rural. Now, all of that to say, again, I'm not, gonna, I'm not going to cover this independent state legislature doctrine and what I think about it. I've already covered that. I want to read, this is from the New York Times, I want to read the subtitle of this and then the first, uh, a little bit of the piece, um, because what you get out of this is a complete misunderstanding of American government. So the title is, Why Little-Notice State Legislative Races Could Be Hugely Consequential. Now, Little-Notice State Legislative Races. You see, from the very beginning... The premise of the article is that state elections are unimportant. You, or they should be unimportant. I mean, we should all be focusing on who runs for Congress, right? That's what we should focus on. We should focus on who controls the Senate. We should focus on who is president. We should not really care much about these state elections. Why? Because... Races in state legislatures are often quiet and turn on local issues like roads or schools. That's it. State elections are just about roads and schools. This is not about anything real. It's not about environmentalism or, uh, or you know, war or uh, you know, something else, some other issue that uh, is some other quote-unquote national issue. No, no, no. They're about things like roads and schools. And so who cares about that most of the time? But now... He says, but a Supreme Court case could give these legislative bodies nearly absolute power over federal elections. Well, they've always had that. They've always had nearly absolute power over federal elections. It's in the Constitution, which is the funniest part of all of this. But uh, Nick Corasanti, excuse me, Nick Corasanti, or Constantini, I, I guess, I don't know how to say his name, but Nick here at the New York Times, um, is, uh, is not happy about the fact that the states would have greater control over federal elections. And it's the same thing Kreitner essentially said in the little exchange we had, just very brief, uh, that he was not happy about the fact that this would lead to unlimited power of the states. And I said, you know, this is not endorsement of federalism because uh, federalism by default, particularly when you look at the Senate, is to protect minority rights in the general government. That's the whole point. In reality, if you're a Calhounian, the whole point of government is to protect the minority. It is, right? So if you have a political minority, then they should be protected. In this case, if you have a political minority of uh, you know wh whoever it is, I don't care if it's a left or a right political minority, they should be protected by the restraints of government. They should protect against the majority. And so government is there to protect minority rights, which most importantly, of course, is property. We know government doesn't do this, but we know when the majority wants the property, they just take it. And that's not what government's supposed to do. So let me read this piece. He says, the conversation started with potholes. Veronica Kleinfeld, a Democratic candidate for state Senate in suburban Detroit, Without knocking on doors as she tried to win a seat her party sees as critical for taking back the chamber. I am tired of seeing cuts in aging communities like ours, she told one voter, gesturing to a cul-de-sac pocked with cracks and crevices. We need to reinvest here. What went largely unspoken, however, was how this obscure local race has significant implications for the future of American democracy. 
The struggle for the Michigan Senate, as well as clashes for control of several other narrowly divided chambers in battleground states, have taken an outsized importance at a time when state legislatures are even more powerful. When, when, with Congress often deadlocked and conservatives dominating the Supreme Court, state governments increasingly steer the direction of voting laws, abortion access, gun policy, public health, education, and other issues dominating the lives of Americans. It's like Nick here has never heard of federalism before. This is, this is the real... I, mean, I love this piece because it's eye-opening how stupid these people really are. How clueless they are about American government. With the Congress deadlocked and the Supreme Court... Uh, having conservative states are having to do what states have always had to do. What a profound statement by old Nick here. States are having to do what states have always had to do. They have to do things that are domestic in nature. I could go pull out again Tench Cox and American Freeman and list all the things the states are supposed to do and all the things the general government couldn't do. If you take my originalist papers class at McClanahan Academy, I go through this in detail right? You should get those classes, too. But he's shocked this is what states would have to do because the Congress can't do them anymore. State governments increasingly steer the direction of voting laws, abortion access, gun policy, public health, education. That's what states are supposed to do. It's amazing that these people live in this world where they think we have a one-size-fits-all national government of 535 dopes, for the most part, who only care about lining their pockets and don't really care about anything else. I mean, Nancy Pelosi cares about getting rich in government, and it's not just her, it's the Republicans too. This is what happens. And we also have, we see it all the time, the lowest common denominator often going into the Congress. They're not very bright people. They don't really know much. We do have some good people in there, but uh, a few. Even those that are supposedly uh, intelligent are mostly out just to uh, for the fame or whatever it is. The Supreme Court could soon add federal elections to that list. So you see, the Supreme Court is going to mess everything up here. The justices are expected to decide whether to grant nearly unfettered authority over such elections to state legislatures, a legal argument known as the independent state legislature theory. If the court does so, many Democrats believe state legislatures could have a pathway to overrule the popular vote in presidential elections by refusing to certify the results and, and instead sending their own slate of electors. <gasps> oh my gosh. You mean they could? the states could do what's in the Constitution? <laughs> oh no. Oh, no. How horrible. Oh, no. The states could actually follow the Constitution. You see, they could overrule the popular vote in their state. There's nothing in the Constitution that says a state even has to count the popular vote. In fact, we didn't start doing it till 1824. Nobody knew what the popular vote was. You elected an elector. You voted for an elector. And let me tell you something. Those early elections were crooked as anything. You could buy more barrels of beer or rum, you could whiskey, you could win the election, right? Whoever could do that. Whoever could get more liquor out there. And because voting was not secret, you'd have to publicly proclaim who you're going to vote for. And so there's a lot of pressure and uh, all kinds of things involved in this. I mean, these early elections were a hilarious episode in American history. But, um, the this is I mean these people live and he calls it a doomsday scenario if that happens. 
That's a doomsday scenario. They could just overrule the will of the people. But on the other hand, they could say, well, uh, you know, you're going to vote for an elector and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who wins the overall vote in the state. We're voting for electors. Now, again, how all this could be solved is what I talked about at the beginning of this particular podcast. Well, in, an, in a state where you have multiple electoral college votes, not just three, but more than three, there are states that have more than three, you have multiple congressional districts, well then, you just have electors chosen by districts, and then you have the overall popular vote get however many, uh, the, the, determine two of the electoral college votes, right? You could do it that way. If every state would get on board with that, it would be fantastic. It's not going to happen. California will never do it. I think the left would be less likely to do this than the right. And I say that because I think Republicans would capitulate on some of these things. The left plays hardball. They don't care. Now, the Republican Party doesn't really want to do it because they know it works against them too because there would be Democrats. But again, if we really want to talk about you know being fair, quote-unquote, and allowing the vote to count, well, then we should, in the Electoral College, we should consider some things like this. So Nick continues, while this that might seem like a doomsday scenario, 44% of Republicans in crucial swing state legislatures use the power of their office to discredit or try to overturn the results of the 2020 presidential election, according to New York Times analysis. More like-minded GOP candidates on the ballot could soon join them in office. Oh, no. They, uh, they said that the election was stolen. Discredit? I mean, like, again, like Stacey Abrams the last time around or Hillary Clinton during the 2016 election. I mean, Democrats do this exact same thing. They called, they called Trump an illegitimate president. They questioned whether it was legal or legitimate. They did this all the time. What's the difference? The difference is that the, it's now the conservatives doing it, or the Republicans, I should say, not really always conservatives. Republicans are doing it. And the left is upset about it because they think they, they won. Republicans have complete control over legislatures in states that have a total of 307 electoral college votes, 37 more than needed to win a presidential election. He calls them electoral votes, but it's the electoral college votes, right? You have to get this correct. They hold majorities in several battleground states, meaning that if the Supreme Court endorsed the legal theory, a close presidential election could be overturned if just a few states assigned alternative slates of electors. Again, the states can do what they want. This is in the Constitution. They have the complete authority to do this. Democrats' chances of bringing Republicans total below 270 are narrow. They would need to flip the Michigan Senate or the Arizona Senate, and then one chamber in both Pennsylvania and New Hampshire in 2024, in addition to defending the chambers the party currently controls. Democrats and Republicans have their have their sights on half a, have set their sights. I'm sorry, in half a dozen states where state legislatures or at least a single chamber could flip in November. Democrats hope to wrest back one of the chambers in Michigan and the Arizona Senate and flip the Minnesota Senate. Republicans aim to win back the Minnesota House of Representatives and take control of one chamber or both in the main Colorado and Nevada legislatures. They are also targeting Oregon and Washington. An avalanche of money has flowed into these races. The Republican State Leadership Committee, the party's campaign arm for state legislative races, has regularly set new fundraising records, raising $71 million this cycle. The group's Democratic counterpart has also broken fundraising records, raising $45 million. Outside groups have spent heavily, too. The state's, uh, state's project, a super Democratic super PAC, has pledged to invest nearly $60 million in five states. Now, again, 
I find this fascinating because states are actually becoming important again. This is great. This is actually beautiful. If the Supreme Court does, if this does anything and refocus attention on states, that's a beautiful thing. Because the states are really where the power and the rubber, rubber meets the roads, where the power is born, right? The states have all the power here. This idea that somehow the states are going to do something the states should do is complete, I mean, it, it's, it's laughable that these people are flipping out over this. The television airways, rarely a place where state legislative candidates go to war, have been flooded with advertising on the races. More than $100 million has been sent nationwide since July, an increase of $20 million over the same period in 2020, according to Ad Impact, a media tracking firm. Again, this is beautiful, right? This is thinking locally and acting locally. I love this. This is exactly the way it should have been from the beginning, and it was. What's happened after 1865 is you had this extreme national centralization. Everyone started looking to the center for everything, and that distorted the nature of American government, the federal republic. This is not about the independent state legislature theory. Nick is concerned about federalism. He's concerned that the center won't have all the power anymore. And the states, oh my gosh, we're spending $100 million in state uh, campaigns, state campaign ads. Great. In fact, if you go back to the Philadelphia Convention, if you go back to the ratifying convention, let's go talk about that most importantly. And the issue of taxes was brought up. An argument was made that states would still be the primary taxing entity, not the general government, because the general government only did a few enumerated things. The states did all the rest, so the states would have higher taxes, a higher percentage of the tax revenue than the general government. Of course, the opponents said that's not going to happen. The states are going to get swallowed up. The general government's going to tax more. The states aren't going to get any revenue. And the proponents of the document said, absolutely not. The states will still have all these things they can do. That's why I bring up Tench Cox. Democrats are finding, however, that motivating voters on an issue as esoteric as the independent state legislature theory is not an easy task. Quote, voters care a whole lot about a functioning democracy, said Daniel Squadron. You can't make up that last name. Daniel Squadron. I mean, is this guy the Borg? Maybe the Empire? a Democratic former state senator from New York and a founder of the state's project. We have our squadron coming up. But he said the independent state legislature threat still feels as though it's on the horizon, even though it's upon us. For some Republicans, the issue of the independent state legislature theory is far from the campaign trail and far from their concerns. If it's a decision by the Supreme Court based on their legal opinion, I would defer to their legal expertise, said Michael D. McDonald, the Republican state senator running against Ms. Kleinfeld. I certainly respect the court's opinion when they make it, and I think it's important that we do. Instead, Republicans are focusing on on economic topics like inflation. Yeah, I mean, like something real, right? Instead of some doomsday, uh, you know, dystopian uh, fantasy that the left has because they live in worlds of ideology, and they think that the center, the real threat to the left is decentralization because it undermines their ability to do all these stupid, crazy things. Now, the states can do a lot of this stuff, and we know the states can be just as bad as the general government, but I will say this. I did a podcast, it was episode 72, I think it was, and YouTube banned it for some reason years ago. Go back and listen to that podcast because I answer all these questions. If you just look up episode 72, um, I answer all these questions about you know states and corruption and other things and how the states are actually better at cleaning it up than the general government. The general government doesn't ever clean up corruption. The states actually do it. 
And so uh, this is one of the arguments. Well, the states are bad, right? The states are going to be just as bad. But I answer that. He says, the economy remains the issue that voters are most concerned about in their daily lives and is the issue that will decide the battle for the state legislatures in November, said Andrew Romeo, the communications director for the Republican State Leadership Committee. The group's internal polling shows that inflation and the cost of living are the number one priority in every state surveyed. Exactly right. In fact, you had... uh, forget the guy's name, but he wears the khakis, he's on TV, and he talks about uh, you know what the election is going to look like, very animated. Um, he pointed this out. He said 44% of voters think the economy is the number one issue. That's 44%. Everything else is like in single digits. So if you put all the other stuff together, it's going to be, or maybe it was, it was 46%. You put all the other stuff, 46 or 44%. You put all the other stuff together, it's a majority. But people don't do that, right? So the biggest issue is the economy. And the Republicans should be hammering this every single day. Now, I'm not, I don't have a lot of faith the Republicans are going to make it much better. We saw record spending, um, you know, record gov- money printing during the Trump administration. Uh, I mean, the Republicans don't ever do anything to control inflation either. But, of course, because this is politics and it's us against them, well, the Democrats did a bad job, put us in, and we'll do a bad job too, but at least uh, we'll be in power. And I'll tell you what's going to happen is they're going to pivot to other things, just like the Democrats have done, because they don't know what to do. They don't want to have to make hard choices, and hard choices would be things like agreeing with jacking up interest rates, cutting spending, reducing taxes, Look, if you want to help Americans right now, cut spending and reduce taxes. Reducing taxes would be fantastic because it would free up money to go in the economy. And then uh, cutting spending is going to help curb inflation. The government stops spending money and you jack up interest rates and you have a smaller budget. Well, that's going to help. So these are the things that really need to be done, but that's also politically unpopular. Not cutting taxes, but cutting spending. Because maybe we can't spend as much money on the military. Maybe we can't spend as much money on social welfare programs. Whatever it is, right? Uh, And people don't like to hear that. He says, the issues defining such election, uh, each election vary widely by district. Some of them, like roads, school funding, and water, are hyper-local. Subjects that rarely drive a congressional or statewide race. In the Detroit suburbs, Mr. McDonald said he has heard the same concerns. When they have something to say, it's never Joe Biden or Donald Trump. It's, hey, you know, actually my road is a little bumpy. What can you do? Wow. I mean, amazing. The people in local elections are worried about local concerns? Hmm. It's almost like they're thinking locally and acting locally. I mean, what a preposterous idea. These people should be worried about Donald Trump and Joe Biden, according to uh, Nick here, right? Nick is upset that these people aren't talking about Joe Biden and Donald Trump. He added, sometimes it could be as small as, can they get that garbage can from our garbage contractor? Yeah, because that's where you have real issues dealt with on an everyday basis. Somebody wants a garbage can, right? Because you know what? That garbage can is a heck of a lot more important than the Ukraine. Uh, Last time I checked, Zelensky wasn't coming out to pick up our garbage, but he is taking billions of dollars from us. So maybe... Uh, people are really more concerned about, you know, uh, police protection, their roads, their schools. This is what happened in Virginia when Virginia completely rejected CRT because parents, mothers said, we're not, t- we're not putting this in our schools. That's more important than 
Donald than uh, Donald Trump or Joe Biden. The piece wraps up. His pitch to voters in turn focuses on money that Macomb County, which makes up a large part of the district, has received from the state budget since he was elected four years ago. Um, and so he's focusing on local issues. I, I'm sorry, that wasn't the end of the piece. Um, piece continues. And, uh, and Saginaw, a city that sits at the thumb joint of Michigan's famous mitten shape, Kristen McDonald Rivet, a Democrat running in a highly competitive state Senate race, was clear about the issues driving her contest. Quote, very few people talk to you about the state of democracy, she told volunteers and staff members on Wednesday. Uh, what they're talk we're going to talk to you about is how there really aren't any high-wage jobs here, and there's not. 75% of the jobs in this region are low-wage, and that's a big issue in Saginaw Township. We have a lot of union workers. So, again, jobs, right? Local concerns. Let's get some businesses here. Let's prop up the economy. So Nick says, uh, the race in Saginaw area has attracted intense statewide and national attention. On Wednesday, there was barely an empty seat at a candidate forum attended by Ms. McDonald Rivet and a Republican opponent, Annette Glenn, a current state representative and hosted by the League of Women Voters. Ms. Glenn, who took office in 2019, pitched herself as a bipartisan presence in Lansing and spoke about education, the economy, and crime. We want to make sure that not only my children, but your children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren have the same opportunities all throughout the district, she said. I also want to make sure that they can walk safely to school every single day. The debate was largely polite, though it grew contentious on the topic of the 2020 election. When the moderator asked Miss Glenn if she believed President Biden had won, she deflected, spending her entire two minutes discussing concerns about the contest. Well, why would you even ask this in a, 20, in a, in a local election anyways? See, this is the problem. Nick thinks that's a good question. That's a good question to ask a local candidate concerned about schools and trash cans and potholes. It's a good question, according to Nick. And when they don't answer it, <gasps> oh no. On Miss McDonald Rivet's turn to answer, she returned to Miss Glenn demanding an answer. Miss Glenn paused, smiled, and again dodged the question, though slightly more deftly. Every time you put gas in your car and you look at the gas prices, I can guarantee you that Joe Biden is the president, she said. While Republicans concentrate on the economy, Democrats are hoping that the backlash of the Supreme Court decision overturning Roe v. Wade can help their party in state legislative races, too. But again, that's about 8%. About 8% of the public even cares about that. Most people are focused on the economy. And this is why Republicans, as you're seeing, and I'm going to talk about this more next week as we get to the end, you're seeing a major shift in the polling now. And I, I cautioned on that. I wasn't certain that the Republicans would win in a wave, and I'm not so certain that can still happen, but, uh, and I don't think the Republicans are going to do much, but here's the thing. Um, the last two weeks, this is why sometimes they shut off polling two weeks ahead of time. It has happened for now well over a decade. The last two weeks are when we really see who's winning the, the uh, contest, right? Because uh, polling data is horrible until you get up to about two weeks ahead of time and even maybe only a week ahead of time. That's when people decide mostly. Most people aren't running around thinking about this stuff. Most Americans don't care. So you got the early voters, and that tends to favor the Democrats, but Republicans show up on election day, and I'm going to tell you, I believe they're going to show up this year. And if they do, it's going to be a swamp. They're going to swamp the Democrats. 
Um, so regardless, but I mean, this is this shows you the problem as I talked about when I when I got into this, right? Um, the problem is that we've got a laser beam focus on the center when we should be focusing on state issues. So why would they even bring up some of this? Now, of course, you know, Roe v. Wade and the ending of that. Uh, the, the, uh, the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade has made this now a state issue. So you could actually bring that issue up at a state contest and it could be a, a firm discussion, right? But who won the election? That's irrelevant. The piece concludes, the national pressure on the sh of the showdown for the Michigan Senate has weighed on some of the candidates, many of whom did not expect the spotlight of national news coverage or the weight of the democracy issue to define their fall campaigns. Well, it really hasn't. After walking an entire street, Miss Kleinfeld leaned against the hood of her car, resting a leather boot against the fender. Nobody's going to care who Victoria uh, Veronica Kleinfeld is 20 years from now, she said. I talk about that. But what they will remember is what happened during this time. If the small-d democracy changes dramatically, they'll never forget that. And so if I fail, and because of that, we don't have protection in the legislature, that's something I'll carry with me for the rest of my life. Oh, no. If I fail, if I fail, democracy dies. These people are, are just goofy, right? They're goofy. So anyways, I wanted to cover this because of this think locally, act locally component of all of that. And how important, how these people really view local elections. They shouldn't be important, but now they're important. And I don't know why they're important, because we still have a Congress, and the Congress should be doing all this. But we have these local people out there, these yahoos who don't know anything. And look, they're election deniers. And uh, we've got real problems, and so we should be focusing on the Congress, not the... But golly, these stupid Supreme Court people are messing everything up. That is that is the, uh, the intellectual basis behind an article about this. And it's like third grade. I mean, but this is where we are. All right. See you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.